My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and as we've been in this Dwelling in the Word and now Dwelling with Jesus series, um, that song represents the prayer, the desire that we have, that as we're dwelling in the Word and dwelling with Jesus, it is not just some abstract exercise, it's, a, it's being filled, it's experiencing Jesus. And to that end, I'd like to offer this prayer for you, the Lord be with you. So uh, how many of you are enjoying going through Matthew? Right now we're going through the book of Matthew. It's been really good. I've got to confess to you that I got stuck around chapter 10, 11, and 12. Such great passages. I, I'm a little bit behind, but I went back and reread several of those passages and felt so strongly about it, I switched up the text for this morning to be from Matthew chapter 11. So I'd like to have you turn there with me, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 11. So we're in the New Testament, the very first book, Matthew, the 11th chapter. Matthew 11, starting with verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I've got some pictures too, and they're probably not going to be quite as orderly as Jennifer's uh, pictures because she does all things orderly, but uh, I'm going to give you a little test based on these pictures. So here's the first one, and the question is, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? (laughs) Okay, yeah, if we're doing our classic Old West pictures, then the guy with the white hat is the good guy, and the guy with the black hat is the bad guy. Okay, good, you got that. Okay, next one, good guy, bad guy. Do you remember the old spy versus spy? Now, there's a little wrinkle with these because you could never quite tell for sure which one was the good guy or the bad guy, but I think generally the white spy was the good guy and the black spy was the good, bad guy. Okay, next one. Who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Okay, a little tricky here, okay? So the guy in all black, in this case, is the good guy, right? And the guy with the white face, the joker, was the bad guy. Everybody got that? Okay, next one. Be careful, another tricky one. What do you do when all the characters are in white? Who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? You know this one? Yeah, yeah, okay. The stormtroopers are the bad guys, and Princess Leia, of course, is the good girl, and also great hairdos. So, okay, this one's also tricky, but you should get this one right away. Because we all know Darth Vader's the bad guy. But was he really the bad guy? Some of you don't give a rip about that Star Wars reference to you. Okay. When we are being entertained, we like to have our categories obvious, right? We don't want to have to think too hard when we're being entertained to try to figure out who is the good guy, who's the villain, and who's the hero, okay? 
we want our good guys to be obvious and our bad guys to be obvious too. So in real life, it's usually not that clear, is it? In real life, we sometimes have heroes who have hot heads and tempers and do really despicable things, but they do the right thing at the right time, and so they become a hero. And we sometimes have villains who can be very cool and charming and nice, but underneath they're seething time bombs waiting to do some really wicked thing to us. So we can't always tell exactly who's good or who's bad. In real life, it's not black and white. It's messy, right? And this is one of the many reasons why I really like the Bible, because the Bible is honest about the mess of real life. It doesn't necessarily give us clean categories all the time. And that's exactly what happened to me as I was dwelling in Matthew chapter 11. I was reading through this passage and I was wondering what exactly is going on here. It's not obvious. It's a mess. John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one or is there another? Should we be waiting for somebody else? Which is a great question, by the way. Maybe one of the greatest questions you could ever ask. Jesus, are you the one? That's a great question. But it's a bold question. It's a courageous question. It is a messy question. And it's particularly messy when it's coming from the mouth of John the Baptist. Because we know enough about John the Baptist to know that this guy is supposed to know better, right? John the Baptist was a prophet. He was the one who prepared the way for Jesus. He's the one early in his ministry who announced, here comes Jesus. He's the one. I mean, that was his mission, to announce Jesus. John the Baptist didn't fool around. He lived in the wilderness. He ate locusts and honey. He wore camel skins. And every sermon was hellfire and brimstone. Everyone was, repent, now is the time. Do it while you still have a chance. That was John's message. Because the one is coming who's going to set all things right, and you better be prepared. You better get your life in order. The kingdom of coming, and if you're not ready, watch out. So shape up, or God will give you the axe, or toss you into the fire. There's judgment around the corner. And so, before it's too late, repent, was his message. And after you've repented, why not get baptized right away as a sign of your repentance? This is John the Baptist. People thought he was Elijah, one of the prophets come back from the dead. Some people thought John the Baptist himself was the Messiah, the one. And John made it very clear, I am not the one, he's coming. And then he pointed clearly at Jesus. This is the John the Baptist we know. He never wavered, he never backed down, he never doubted. And then we get to Matthew chapter 11. And John apparently has some second thoughts. Jesus, are you the one? Or should we be looking for someone else? Is there another? So as I'm meditating and dwelling in Matthew 11, I'm wondering why John asked this question. Was he surprised? Was there something going on here that surprised him? I wonder if he compared his message with Jesus' message. John had preached a pretty grim picture of judgment. God is harsh. He's an angry judge waiting to bring justice. Jesus preached a message about love and forgiveness. God as a father who continually reaches out to his wayward children, who continually makes space for them, even when they rebel. John said, people better save their skin. They better do something about it now or else before it's too late. Jesus said, it's God who does the saving. 
And even if you happen to blow everything on wild living and liquor and sex like the prodigal son, it's never really too late. God can still save you. John worked with a mostly religious crowd in the desert. They came out to him. Very uh, sparse lifestyle. Jesus ate with a bunch of sinners at banquet tables in the city. John crossed the other side of the street when a sinner came because he felt like it was so important to be pure, to, to remain separate. Jesus embraced sinners, and sinners embraced Jesus. I wondered if these differences caused John to wonder, Jesus, are you the one? Or is there another? Did I get it wrong? And then I was wondering if John's question actually was maybe a function of his current situation because John no longer is free, you know, to roam. John's in prison. Um, He's not out in the wilderness with crowds of people coming to him. He's sitting in a cell all alone, all by himself, day after day. I wondered if these situations, hard places, could cause fear or cause doubt, cause him to uncertainty about the future, what's coming. My situation has changed. Being in hard places can lead to asking hard questions. Jesus, are you the one? I don't know exactly why John asked the question, but he needed to ask it. And so he did, which is also a great encouragement to me. When you need to ask this tough question, Jesus, are you the one? Well, then ask it. And it makes me wonder this. What makes you ask that question? Have you ever asked that? Jesus, are you the one? I know I've asked it a number of times in my life. The first time I ever asked this question was in high school. I'd been hearing about Jesus all my life, but Jesus was something of the church and something of my parents' faith. But I got to a point in high school where I started to wonder, Jesus, are you the Savior? No, actually, it was a more personal question than that. It was the question, Jesus, are you my Savior? That was the question I asked. Jesus, are you the one for me? I was wondering about that when I was trying to figure out if I should become a pastor. That was a hard question for me. There was a lot of other options for me. A lot of them looked like they were kind of interesting and attractive. It seemed like being a pastor could be maybe kind of a tough job. Jesus, are you sure you're calling me to this? I asked the question, Jesus, are you the one? When my marriage was falling apart, I wondered, Jesus, aren't you the one who's promised to fix things? Don't you fix broken things like broken relationships? And when he didn't fix my relationship the way I wanted him to, I asked the question, Jesus, are you the one? Many of you know the story a few years ago as I watched my daughter getting placed into the belly of a helicopter to get flown to the university hospitals. And when they put her in that helicopter, I did not know if I would see her alive again. And I wondered, Jesus, are you the one? These are the biggies in my life, times when I hit a wall and had a hard time, a hard place, and had to ask hard questions. But this same question has come up dozens of smaller moments in my life when there's mess or trouble or darkness or uncertainty, and I'm just wondering, Jesus, are you the one? Are you still here? Are you in the middle of this? What is it that makes you ask the question? Jesus, are you the one? John needed to ask it, and so he did the right thing. He sent a couple of his disciples to go to the source 
and ask. So they went to Jesus and they said, Are you the one? And Jesus answered, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on my account. Now we don't know how John reacted when he heard this message back from his disciples. But as I was dwelling in that chapter this week, I started to wonder. I wonder how he reacted. And I'm guessing that he was encouraged to believe that Jesus was the one, that these words helped him. I'm pretty sure that as he listened to these words from Jesus, he actually heard the prophet Isaiah, because Isaiah told that there would be a one who would come, and this one would come, and he would heal the sick, and he would raise the dead, and he would give sight to the blind. That's the one you should look for. So I'm sure that he heard the words of Isaiah in these words. I'm pretty sure that he heard the promise of blessing that came at the end of this, a blessing that says, hey, um, don't be offended by the one who reaches out to the hurting. Don't be offended by the one who spends time with the broken, the hurting, the outcast. Don't be offended by that. You'll be blessed by dwelling with these people who many marginalize. I'm sure that he was encouraged by that. Blessed not to take offense at the way that Jesus reached out and touched sinners. I'm pretty sure that John believed that Jesus was the one who brought good news. And I wondered, as I was dwelling in this passage, if the most convincing part of this message from Jesus wasn't this phrase, tell John what you see and hear. That's an interesting phrase to me because he's saying that this, this message is not about some abstract idea. This message is about an experience of Jesus. Tell John what you see and hear. It's not about collecting data points or collecting trivia or just building up your information. It's about experiencing Jesus. Tell John what you see or hear. This is the most common way, by the way, that the Bible talks about knowing Jesus. It talks about knowing Jesus not as an abstract idea, but it talks about knowing Jesus as an experience, someone that you walk with, someone that you hear, someone that you see, someone that you hold, and someone who holds you. It's a concrete, specific experience. And I'm sure that John was encouraged by that. I wonder if this phrase didn't help take John back to that day along the river when he saw Jesus coming to him. Tell John what you see and hear. And John goes, yeah, I remember seeing Jesus coming to me at the river. And then I wonder if it took him back to that moment when he blurted out when he first saw Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was part of John's experience. He saw Jesus at the river. He took him into the water and he held him under the water and raised him up. And as he did, the heavens opened up and God announced, This is my son who I am well pleased. I'm sure that this was part of John's experience. And when they say, Tell John what you see and hear, he's experienced Jesus. I'm sure he had to be encouraged. This isn't the only place in the Bible that we're Talked, we're told about this. One, another one of my favorite passages about having confidence in your experience with Jesus comes from the uh, book of 1 John, chapter 1. If you want to read it later, 1 John 1 starts this way. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and which our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim to you. This is what I want to tell you about. 
This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life, that this life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim it to you as eternal life, which the Father has given to us because he has appeared. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also might believe. We proclaim what we have seen and heard so that your joy might be complete. You hear the experience of Jesus there? Not an abstract idea, a concrete experience. To give encouragement, to give hope, to maybe help when there's times of doubt. When you wonder, Jesus, are you the one? Think about what you've seen and heard and tasted and touched. The fruit of dwelling with Jesus is to hear and see and hold him and be held by him. To see and hold the one who loves us. To see and hold the one who heals. The one who welcomes. The one who embraces. The one who forgives. Maybe I don't need to say this, but I don't want to assume anything. When we have been talking about this goal of dwelling in the Word starting earlier this year and last year, and when we shifted into this focus on dwelling with Jesus, this wasn't about just getting more information. It's about experiencing Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about knowing Him. As I was dwelling in the Word, one of the kind of side observations that hit me was the way that John, uh, the way that Jesus responded to John's question, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus doesn't scold him. There's no scolding, there's no shaming, there's no putting him down for asking the question. Instead, Jesus simply acknowledges it. And then gives him an answer. Go and tell him, Jesus says. Go tell him what you see and hear. I just love the way Jesus responds to that question. It's so good for me to hear that because often my identity is tied up with being good enough. And I wonder if I have messed up so that Jesus won't be with me. When my, when my identity depends on being good enough, I'm often overcome by doubt because I think I do not measure up. I am the villain with the black hat. When I ask Jesus, are you the one? And I look at this response to John, I think, he, he wants me to come and ask him. And he's going to say to me the same thing, hey, Kent, what have you seen and heard? What have you experienced? Haven't you experienced my love? Haven't you experienced my forgiveness? Haven't you experienced the way you belong? Haven't you experienced the way that I enfold you? The way I forgive you? Go tell Kent what you see and hear, that he is good enough, that he belongs, that he's forgiven. I experienced that this week as I was dwelling in the Word. No judgment, no condemnation, that my identity is in Jesus, and in him I've been made good enough. So I am loved, which took me to another passage which reminded me that nothing could ever separate me from that love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, nor the future, nor the past, nor anything present, nor anything in all creation. 
could separate me from the love of God in Christ. That's what I experienced as I was dwelling in Matthew 11 this week, and I could feel Christ's presence. I could feel that Jesus was with me, which led me to the question of, can I experience him everywhere I go and in every situation? Jesus, are you still the one when I am sick? Are you still the one when I'm lonely, when I'm hurting, when I'm addicted, when I'm depressed, when I'm angry, when I'm anxious? Are you still the one? And the answer I heard with each question, is Jesus still the one? Or is there another? No, there's no other. What makes you ask the question, Jesus, are you the one? And then what do you experience after you ask that question? So one of the fun things we do with our little church app is every week we send out a little survey question to try to get some information from you. This week's question was, what type of movie do you prefer to watch? Do you prefer to watch an action movie, a romance movie, or a comedy movie? And it was very strongly supported in one category. You all seem to like comedies, almost by two to one. But I like action movies, so I'm going to tell you about a typical scene from the end of every action movie, so you don't ever have to watch another action movie. you got it all right here. Okay. Here's the classic scene that comes at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert. The good guys finally catch up with the bad guys. And the bad guys are usually holed up in some dingy warehouse or a cave or some decaying fortress or something. They're hunkered down, making their final plans to destroy all mankind. Okay? The good guys surround the bad guys. And then at some point, somebody from among the good guy group will ask the question, what's the plan? And then the hero of the story, the guy with the white hat, will say, I'm going to go in there. You wait here for a sign. Isn't that the way it happens? And then before anyone can ask, what's the sign, the guy just disappears, and everybody's left sitting there wondering, I wonder what the sign's going to be. And the next scene is something like a gigantic explosion or a bus goes through the wall of the warehouse or a helicopter comes crashing in or there's something that's like, oh, that's the sign. And then everybody rushes in and they destroy the the bad guys. And the movie ends actually like a comedy because all the good people live and all the bad people perish and it's a happy ending. And it's always nice and clear, which is why I like these kinds of action movies because the good guys always win, the bad guys are always destroyed, and it's always really clear who's who. That's the movies. In real life, it's not quite so clear, which is probably why we like the movie version better. In real life, we wait around for clear signs that will point the way, and they're not always exactly clear. We wait around for signs that will show us what is right and what is wrong. We wait around for signs looking to see what direction we should go, what choices we should make. We look around for signs that will give us affirmation or give us encouragement or give us hope. We're looking for any sign that will help keeping our feet on the right track. We're looking for those kinds of signs. And we don't always get them as clear. We're often like John the Baptist sitting in prison, wondering, are you the one or should I wait for another? We especially need clear signs when we hit a wall in our life, when things are bad, when things are trouble, when the wheels come off our bus, when we lost our job or someone we love just got cancer or our kids are rebelling or we feel like nobody loves us, then we need a sign. 
God, are, are you still there? Jesus, are you still the one? Our life is suddenly filled with darkness and uncertainty. What's the sign? So there's a modern-day expression, I think, of the same question, Jesus, are you the one? And the question is, in response to trouble like this, the question is, really? And it's always asked whenever life is really unfair or trouble problematic, and it's always asked exactly like that. Really? And if it's a really bad situation, you can add, really? Are you kidding me? Things are so bad. Is this really what just happened? Is this really the plan for my life? Uh, Just one another little aside. If you were a Saints fan watching the end of that game last week on the last play, that's what you said. Really? Are you kidding me? If you're a Vikings fan, you had a whole different reaction to that. This was John's question to Jesus. Jesus, really? I did what I was supposed to do. I went to the desert. I ate locusts and honey, and I wore camel skins, and I preached to these crowd of rebellious people, and I baptized them, and I proclaimed your coming. I did everything you asked me to do, and now I'm sitting in prison. Really? Is that the way this is supposed to go? And he was actually awaiting his execution. Really, are you the one? And Jesus said, Go tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble because of this. Jesus, are you the one? Really? Lord God, we come before you today and we give you thanks for your truth and for your word. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is here to guide us. We ask that you'll continue to grow us in the way that you desire and we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.